0: namah Welcome everybody. And tonight, I'll talk about the philosophy behind meditation. And then we can practice a little bit ourselves. The experience of looking inwardly and noticing ourselves, being aware of our own consciousness is not as difficult as one might think. Introspection in general is available to us at any time because, after all, we live in this body and it's just a matter of choice which direction we look. One of the mantras I like to propagate is where attention goes, energy flows. Would you like to try it on? Say, where attention goes, energy goes, goes. energy 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 flows. And being aware of the power of our own attention and where we're placing it is extremely helpful. And the practice of meditation helps us to become more aware of the effects of our own consciousness. And one of the symptoms or facilities provided by consciousness is is our attention. Or consciousness is attention you could say. And I also in reducing things to a very simple level could also say that our main asset that we have is our attention. And the, the main choice we have in life is where we place our attention. And in meditation we just take a little time to very deliberately look inwardly. And just as in the ocean, there's a lot more than meets the eye on the surface. The surface of the ocean may look boring even after some time. We're so simply seeing reflections from the sky, nondescript images and so forth. But if you actually go into the ocean, you notice there's a... there's Myriad life forms that are interesting and unfathomable, even in a similar, similar way, inside our own consciousness, there there's there's wonderment to be to be had, uh, because what we are actually is more important than what we have, although mostly identify. Please come on in. Mostly identify with what I have rather than. Noticing what I actually am. So, the the process of of um, meditation is very much. Um, it's very helpful to have s- some time together to do some guided meditation. So, we we'll, we can start with that. And for this, all you have to do is uh, get a little comfortable, and then. Let go of all the other concerns you might have or any thoughts that are coming into your mind. And just give yourself permission for about 10 minutes to let anything that comes up pass by. Because things will come up. The mind is described in the Bhagavad Gita as manogatan. It's constantly going. So don't feel that you're doing something wrong if thoughts come into your mind or impulses and so forth, but just notice them. You can be a witness and then let them pass on and keep bringing your mind back to the, the guided meditation. Does that sound okay? Are you all comfortable back there? Or would you like to come in a little closer? You're all, Okay. Okay, so it's helpful to be comfortable because... Um, I mean, that's why in yoga practice there's an emphasis on asanas for some time because that gives you a facility to be able to sit comfortably without aching in some way because that's hard to overcome when you're trying to concentrate inwardly. So please... Um, sit up a little bit straighter than you were a second ago, and you'll notice whenever you do any kind of meditation that the moment you sit up a little bit straighter than your mental system takes notice. Oftentimes, like if you go to an interview and you wanted to make an impression, if you sit there like this, they probably won't hire you. But if you just sit up one inch taller... (laughs) They'll think, oh, this person is very interested in what I have to say. And similarly, our mind and senses become more alert when we sit up a little bit straighter. So that's one of the reasons yogis sit straighter. It lets the energy or prana uh, flow up the spinal cord into the brain and so forth. And then if you just close your eyes and be in the present... aware of your breath. Feel that you're comfortable and bring yourself into the present. Let your thoughts and emotions come and go without judging them. And notice your inhalations and exhalations. Help yourself concentrate on your breath by mentally saying in on the inhalations and out on the exhalations. If your mind wanders, bring it back to your breath. Now, bring your attention to your heart space. Imagine as you inhale that you're breathing a golden light into your heart. As you breathe out, the golden light fills the room. Breathe in soft, golden energy. Your heart is warm and open. Breathe out and release all tensions. Relax. And breathe. You're on a beach, close to the ocean, but not touching it. It's a beautiful sunny day. The air is fresh. The sand is a brilliant white and the sky a clear blue. The sun pleasantly warms your skin and you can hear the waves lapping. The water is now bathing your feet. As it returns to the ocean, your feet become transparent. The next wave bathes your legs. And as it returns to its source, your legs too become transparent. Now the water is flowing up over your hips to your navel. As the water returns to the ocean, your body is transparent from the navel down. The next wave bathes you up to your neck. The water is soothing. You feel safe. As the wave pulls back, your whole body is transparent. The next wave flows over your head. You have no trouble breathing, and you are very relaxed. As the water returns to the ocean, your whole body is transparent. You can no longer see it. There's only you, the real you who is Free from all coverings, who is separate from the body, and who witnesses all of the life situations that surround you. Please take a moment to notice that you exist. Be consciously aware of your consciousness. Notice that you're alive. Now notice that your life is different from your life situation. Remain in this space and listen to a text from yoga wisdom. As the sun alone illuminates all this universe so does the living entity one within the body illuminate the entire body by consciousness those who see with eyes of knowledge the difference between the body and the knower of the body can attain true happiness Bring your focus back to your breathing. Rub your palms together, create some energy. And open your eyes, come back into the room. So during the guided meditation, I was talking about the difference between your, your life and your life situation. And in the yoga wisdom texts, for instance, Bhagavad Gita, Krishna talks about how there's a difference between the knower and the knower of the field, the field and the knower of the field. The body is a field and we're temporarily residing within that field of activities. But it's not us. It's like we're sitting in a car and one who becomes aware of the fact that he or she is within a body but is not the body, is known to be in knowledge. And this is one of the first steps of meditation, which anyone can notice by just being a little introspective and looking within, taking some time to notice that the consciousness is pervading the body and you are the consciousness and that you can direct your awareness, conscious awareness, to any part of your body or anywhere else. You can project it wherever you'd like. You could also notice that, for instance, you're not your hand. We never say I hand, we say my hand. Because it's part of the field, but it's not us. And similarly, they act Activities that we're engaged in in the world, the cares that we have, are part of our life situation. But from the perspective of the conscious living being, we can notice that that life situation is going on around us and we're also the witness of that. It's not us. We're something that's detached from all of the activities that are going on in our life or in our life situation. Sometimes it's compared to watching a movie and the mind is like a screen. And you may have had the experience of going into a theater and then the lights go down and the cameras come on or the film projector and the light comes on the screen and then the movie starts to open with a story. And have you ever gotten caught up in the drama? of the story as you're watching the movie? Two people only? Did you ever, have you ever cried at a movie? Or did you ever laugh? And this is a similar way in which our life situation is projected onto the screen of our mind and I may be observing it and I'll feel sometimes elated and sometimes sad enough to cry or worried, and it's as if I'm watching the the movie of my life on the screen. But through the process of meditation, one may become aware that I'm the watcher, I'm observing it, I'm a witness, which in Sanskrit is called sakshi. And one who can take that one tiny little step back and notice that I'm watching it, but I'm not that movie, I, I can, turn the light on any time and notice that actually this is something that's being projected and that I'm only identifying with it. So this is one of the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita and the Yoga Sutras is to step back and notice that you're the noticer and also to become aware of your own self and that you're different, your life and your life situation are different. And now let's just see if you have any um, reflections from the meditation. Anything that you experienced or anything that you heard from the monologue so far that stuck in your mind. You can just share. What was it like, the guided meditation? Was it um, annoying? Or was it interesting? Or was it different? Or how would you describe it? Or what? What were any of your insights? Taking time to examine your own consciousness and the environment of the field that you're in. Yes?
1: Uh, one thing I noticed, I guess, is usually when I'm trying to meditate on this, <coughs>
0: um, the, when you're just silent, um, my focus is on uh, just sort of like, you know, the blackness behind your eyelids or just trying to think about nothing or Visualize nothing, just like stay in that space. Whereas with this meditation, I was more moving
1: through a visual framework. Mm.
0: Um, But it still felt meditative in the sense that there were less thoughts and things, and I was able to use that visual framework to move through uh,
1: things that came up.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, through that, perhaps there's just any awareness experiment can help us to realize this fact that, first of all, where attention goes, energy flows, and also I have a choice of where I place my attention. One of the reasons that people often feel anxiety is because they feel carried away by their life situation. But when one practices meditation, one can become aware of the fact that I have a choice of what I focus on, is I focus on my energy is going to go there and it's going to augment that particular situation. And that there's a kind of haven, a safe haven that we have within, because we are something that is so significant that as the yoga scriptures describe, Atman Atmana Tushta. Tushta means satisfaction and Atma means the self. So Atman Atmana means that if one is be able to is able to notice one's own self, as opposed to the life situation, one can feel such satisfaction that he or she feels like I don't need anything else. There's not that constant, um, pushing that I have to find one more thing that will satisfy me, an object outside my own self that will make me happy. And this is, um, obviously a great asset to have to not be constantly pushed. What else? Thank you very much. That was very helpful. What else did you experience or hear or see that you could that you feel like sharing? Sharing means caring. According to the Salvation Army, yes. It was really nice at the beginning with the emitting the gold the light. Yeah. Breathing it in, just imagining it, gave me happiness. Hmm. Yeah, and. Oftentimes, well, actually pretty much constantly, we're breathing in this uh, very valuable prana that's coming from the environment as a gift. And in one of the guided meditations on breath, we're remembering that the greatest gift we have right in this second is, a, is our breath. And I often take that for granted. And so I can walk around all day today thinking about all the things I don't have yet, But then I don't realize that I have the most important thing right now, and that's my breath. If you swallow a cough drop the wrong way and you start choking (laughs) and someone pulls you upside down and the cough drop comes out, and for the rest of the week you'll be thinking, like, I don't care about anything else. I have my breath. (laughs) And another proof that there are things going on, gifts coming in constantly that, that I could become aware of but um, I forgo those things because I'm externally focused and I'm putting my attention on uh, the things that I still need or other things that are, are external to me that, that aren't coming in at, at the very second. Thank you for remembering that. What else? Take a couple more. Yes? It's, uh, it's a lot easier to see myself as a as witness even just I sit down and... Close my eyes, take a few breaths, because otherwise I get so absorbed in my external situation. I kind of limit like What's happening around me? Yes.
1: That I, that I forget I'm actually just like a person.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. right. As you've heard, that it's probably cliche by now, but that we're not human doings. We're human beings, because oftentimes we meet somebody. It's like, what do you do? It's like. <laughs> it's, um, instead of what's your state of being or, or some other kind of question that would probably make people wonder what you're about. <laughs> but also in the, in the wisdom literature, Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna, the student, asks a question about what, is the, what are the symptoms of a person who's fixed in consciousness? And one of the questions he asks is, is how does such a person sit? And then the question really arises, can I sit? Is it possible to sit? There's a, uh, oftentimes, uh, when I was growing up, there was a, a phrase sometimes parents would say to their kids, don't just sit there, do something. And someone wrote a book called uh, Don't Just Do Something, Sit There. <laughs> and uh, so th- this idea like, what prevents me from just sitting somewhere? Uh, maybe I sit down with the intention of meditating, and then as soon as I sit down, I feel the urge, I got to. Get back up again, because there is a way in which I am constantly being pushed to to look at the next thing, go to the next place, and this is, if you look at it objectively, it's a kind of harassment from the senses and the mind that are constantly pushing. You know, go here, look at that, do this, and there is a sense of peace when one actually realizes that I can be self-directing in my consciousness and and in my awareness and i'm not obligated to, uh, to to obey those commands that are coming from my senses constantly that are dragging me in fact there's a poem that was written about 500 years ago by one of the uh, teachers of yoga and meditation and it goes kamadinam katina katida palita durnideshas mayina karana napra napra tapa no pushanti and he's saying in how many ways and for how long have I obeyed the bad masters of my senses? They've always told me what to do and I never, I never questioned them. They never gave me time off and they never gave me any mercy. Uh, but now I've become aware of the fact that I don't have to obey them constantly. And this is something that one can become aware of through self, uh, through introspection and noticing What's actually? What are the workings that are going on? What are the senses saying? There's a description in the Bhagavad Gita of a hierarchy. And it says uh, the lowest are, on the hierarchy are the senses. And above the senses is the mind. Above the mind is the intellect. And above the intellect is the atma or the conscious self. Which is categorically different from the senses or the mind or the intellect. Because the senses and mind intellect are, are gross and subtle matter, or lower energy. Whereas the conscious being, the Atma, is superior energy. However, <clears throat> the superior energy gets captured by the, lo- the workings of the lower energy. But when someone becomes aware that actually I'm, in, I'm on top of the hierarchy and uh, through conscious and deliberate focus of one's attention, one can become um, self-determining and uh, free from the influence of of the senses. Eric Fromm once talked about the difference of freedom to and freedom from. Oftentimes I think I want to be free to do something or to do whatever I want. But then there's the concept in the Bhagavad Gita of what are you free from? Uh, And the answer is uh, through the practice of meditation, freedom from the the demands of the senses. That's a real freedom. And that gives me a lot more choices of what I want to do. Maybe one more reflection. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that nicely put, very well put, mm-hmm. thank you. Yes, and uh, I like that you word use the word resonate because that's a kind of segue into the next thing I want to talk about. So resonance is a is a scientific um, a property. It's, it's a f- physical fact that everything in the universe has a certain vibration to it. Quantum physics describes how everything is vibrating, means it has a, a certain sound and pitch, if you're able to hear everything. Uh, they're all at different sounds. On di- different, there are different spectrums of sounds. Uh, we can't hear all of them. Nonetheless, uh, <clears throat> they're revealing and they have their effect. I can't, for instance, hear a dog whistle, but a dog can. Uh, and sound, we may notice in uh, practical scientific fields, has a revealing aspect. For instance, have you ever heard of ultrasound? Yes. What does it generally reveal? Or what can it be used to reveal? Babies. Yeah, babies. So you can't necessarily see that there's a baby inside, but if you use ultrasound, which is a certain spectrum of sound, you can see inside what the eyes can't see. And how about sonar? (coughs) No sailors in here? (laughs) Yeah, so the ocean is vast. It's really difficult to see underneath the ocean for long distances. And sonar is used to reveal what's there in the ocean. And similarly, mantra, which is one of the most effective and popular, traditionally, means of meditation it reveals the Atma. And I described it at the top of the hierarchy. And the reason is that everything resonates and when it responds to a particular frequency of sound. And the mantra is of a certain frequency, which is it's a spiritual frequency, and it resonates with our higher self or our Atma. So when you vibrate the mantra using your own uh, tongue and lips and you say the mantra and listen to it you'll start to notice that it brings to life your awareness of your atma or yourself or it actually brings the self into uh, more clarity of its own self by the power of the mantra. So man means mind and tra it comes from the word Trayate in Sanskrit, which means to rise above or to deliver. So, the first stated goal of, of meditation in the ancient book by Patanjali called the Yoga Sutras is to still the mind. Because the mind's constantly agitated by what are called vrittis or impulses that are coming through the senses. And it's as if you have a still pond, but it becomes agitated by the wind or other kinds of. Um, outside influence, and therefore you can't see what's below. So when the mind becomes still, then you can start having a vision of what's actually beneath it. And you can become more clearly aware of yourself. So when we uh, uh, vibrate the mantra, then the, uh, the process is to listen to the sound vibration. And the sound itself Uh, And the effect that it has is related to another scientific principle called excitation. When you introduce uh, higher energy to a lower energy object, it uh, then elevates the lower energy object to a higher state of energy. For instance, normally when I'm in the Bay Area and I'm doing seminars on meditation and mantra meditation, I'll bring two tuning forks. And uh, it comes along... The kit I got from a scientific uh, company has a rubber mallet. And the two tuning forks are separated. They each have their own little wooden box, hollow box. And I'll smack one of the tuning forks with the rubber mallet and let it go for a few seconds. And then I'll grab it and stop the vibration. But the vibration keeps going because it's going in the other one. The second tuning fork continues to vibrate because it picked up the energy from the first one. And this is uh, a typical scientific example in physics classes of acoustic resonance. So everything has its characteristic resonance. And the atma, or yourself, the conscious self, resonates with spiritual sound. And it rises to a higher level of energy. So... <clears throat> There are different ways to repeat the mantra and there are various mantras that are like formulas that are passed down through the um, ancient yogic scriptures and that yogis have used for many, many years to, to meditate. And so next we can try doing a, a mantra meditation experiment where all we do is uh, listen to the mantra. I'll introduce the mantra to you and then uh, we can say it together. And you can just uh, feel, you don't have to do uh, much um, intellectual um, endeavor. You just have to like be with the mantra and feel the the energy of the mantra and see what it does for you. Does that sound reasonable?
2: Yes.
0: Please say yes. (laughs) Okay, so but before we do, let's stand up for a second and do a stretch so that we feel comfortable when we sit back down. One that I recommend is to interlace your fingers like this and then turn the palms outward towards the floor and keep your feet kind of parallel. And then move your hands above your head and try to straighten your elbows and push your palms up. Try to touch that ceiling up there. And then move your hands back a little further and move your chin down so you can stretch a little bit of your neck and breathe and come back down and then change the lacing on your fingers and put it slightly different like that. Move your index fingers and then try again. And breathe and back down. And now there's some blood flowing, we can sit a little more comfortably. I want to take one second to get a, try a drone for you. So the first mantra I'd like to introduce to you and even if you know it, just pretend that it's the first time you ever heard it, because that's a good way to approach mantra chanting in, in the first place is don't think, oh yeah, I know this thing already, as then your mind, it bounces off your mind and you don't absorb it. So, this is a mantra which is said to be a seed mantra, which contains all kinds, of, all spiritual energies. But you can also think of it like a zip file. It looks like one tiny little thing, but when you click on it, then it reveals uh, information way beyond what you thought might be available. And similarly, a seed looks insignificant, but when you water it, then it grows into something magnificent that produces fruit and goes on and self-perpetuates. So the way that you water the mantra which is a seed is to give it your attention, and so the first mantra is <clears throat> one-syllable mantra. It's spelled A-U-M, but when there's a diphthong in in Sanskrit, then it gets um, <coughs> morphed into a, a simpler sound. So A-U turns into an O. So the the mantra is pronounced Om. Everyone likes to say Om. 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 And Om is something that you can say when you're breathing out and you can extend the, uh, <clears throat> the vibration for some time. And so what we'll do is I'll say the mantra Om, in an extended, uh, prolonged way and then uh, everyone can repeat and just feel the vibration of the, the mantra Om. I want to make sure I'm on a spectrum of sound that everyone can follow. What do you think would be good? I'll turn this off. Okay. Try closing your eyes again and remember to sit up one inch higher than you were before and it will bring your mental system to attention. Take a nice deep breath. Oh Now all together, six times. just sit for a moment and notice how the sound vibration may have affected your mind, the cells in your body, your sense of being. And now we'll chant three more times. closed and I'm going to introduce a two-syllable mantra. This mantra means the source of all happiness. Happiness comes within. That statement is cliche. Everyone intuits that it comes from within. But how to reach the source of that happiness within one's own self, just as through ultrasound, one would be able to see what's inside the body through sonar. One can see what's inside the ocean through this mantra pronounced Rama. One can find the wellspring of happiness that is there within one's own self the mantra itself reveals that happiness. So I'll say it one time, and then we'll say it together six times. And together. ra The resonance of this sound vibration in your mind, in your heart, in your cells. And now we'll say it three more times.
1: Rah.
0: Closed, I'll introduce you to the next mantra which has five syllables and is pronounced like this Ni Tai Goranga. Please repeat after me Ni Tai. Goranga
1: Goranga
0: Nithai Nithai Goranga Goranga Nithai Nithai Goranga Goranga This mantra reveals to us the force in the universe that's sustaining us all at every second. We're being held together, nourished Fed, given intelligence, and it's all coming from one divine source. And the mantra Nitai Goranga reveals that source. So I'll I'll say it once, and then we can say it together six times. Nitai
2: Goranga. (Sanly) Ne Thai Goranga <Sanly> Ne Thai Goranga <Sanly> Ne Thai Goranga Ne Thai Goranga go ranga
0: go ranga Now sit for a moment and just notice the effect that this mantra has had on your mind, your heart The cells in your body and your sense of being. And we'll say it three more times together.
2: (laughs) Neetai Goranga. Neetai Goranga.
0: Now you can open your eyes, come back into the room. So these mantras bring their own energy into our mental system and resonate with the atma or the self, which is the spiritual energy that we are. And if you practice the mantra and simply listen, you'll notice that the mantra reveals itself to those who are patient and just take some time with the mantra. And... um, We'll stand up one more time, just get a stretch so that we can do the next mantra. Yes? What does the last one translate to? Nitai Goranga. Nitai means that which is always existing. There's a designation made in the wisdom literatures, for instance, in Bhagavad Gita, a, a, a verse, Nasato vidite bhavo, nabhavo vidite sita, Ubayo rapidishtun tas twanayos tatva darshi bi. That those who have learned, to see categories of energy can understand the difference between those things that are just passing through, that are wispy. They don't have any real substance because they're here today and gone tomorrow. With those things that are permanent, they always exist. Mm. So you as an Atma always exist, whereas um, the things that you have around you, including your body, for instance, the body is always changing, uh, like a river. There's a, there's a saying in the Srimad Bhagavatam, one of the literatures on bhakti yoga, that you can't step in the same river twice. You may say, I stepped in the, in the Mississippi. I should use a local river. The pooter. The pooter. You can say, I stepped in the pooter. <laughs> Although that sounds a little funny. Uh I stepped in the pooter and then if you go back and you step in it an hour later or even one second later, really you didn't step in the same river because it's constantly moving. It's not one distinct thing. This body is a river. It's 85% water. Or maybe here in Colorado it's more like 70% because it's so dry here. <laughs> but but it, it's, it's a river nonetheless. The skin is always sloughing off. Um, the uh, the dust bunnies that you may occasionally see around in somebody else's house, not yours, um, is is from the body. It's it's constantly um, dissipating, and uh, every seven years the bodies are rege- the cells in the body are regenerated. So that would be an example of something that's non permanent. So when we say nitai, we're referring to the original divine source that is always existing, that's the source of everything and all the energies and of which we're a part. And identifying with that immediately brings uh, happiness and uh, satisfaction. And Gauranga refers to that personality who's maintaining the whole universe. Everything's being maintained and there's a higher force that's at work uh, everywhere and at every second. Recently When I was taking a nap in the afternoon, I take a 17-minute nap. And just as I was waking up, lying on my left side, it's Ayurvedically recommended, I noticed my heart beating. And I don't always notice my heart beating, I just take it for granted, but have you ever had that sensation where you became acutely aware that your heart was beating? You? Mm -hmm. Well, that happened to me that day. And it, it was a profound experience. You know that interim when you're not asleep and you're not awake, but you, somehow it, there's a lot of uh, lucidity there. So that's where I was. I noticed the heart beating, and then I had a conversation with my heart, and I said, "Thank you very much. I appreciate all the, appreciate all the work you've been doing all these years, and I've never really thanked you before." And my heart answered me, and said. You know, you're very welcome, but I'm just doing my duty. And what's more, I can't guarantee how long I'll keep going, because whenever I'm asked to stop, I'll just stop. And after hearing that from my heart, I swung my feet off, stepped on the floor, and uh, had a completely different outlook on life. I was more aware of how everything in the universe is being held together And directed by a higher force. So that higher force is gauranga. So you have the eternality and you have gauranga. That eternal force that's controlling and holding everything together. And that connection with that is is the most invigorating of all experiences that one can have. And clarifying. It changes the way one interacts with the world. Actually making one more grateful and efficient in everything that one does. So that's nitai gauranga. Oh, good. It is. I mean, it's endlessly fascinating. It's mysterious and it's absorbing also. There's a whole inner life and it can be reawakened by mantra meditation. So let's just stand up one more time because it's important. the physical aspect of meditation is very important. If you're not comfortable, then it's very hard to concentrate the mind. So again, try this exercise. Web your hands and point them down towards the floor. Keep your feet parallel like this. And then lift your hands above your head and try to stretch up high and straighten your elbows. And then you can look down at the floor where your hands are up high and take a nice deep breath. And then bring them down and then realign your fingers. Just change the position. And again, flex and reach up towards the sky and breathe and straighten your elbows and try to touch the ceiling, Rip, lift the rib cage higher and breathe again and come back down. <sighs> Do you feel ready to sit for another mantra? Yes. Okay, let's try it. Do you happen to have this one written, um, the Ma Mantra? Yeah. Now we're getting into... Yeah, but if you have it, okay. Um, this mantra is a, another Sanskrit mantra and uh, we're really graduating here because we're getting into a 16 word mantra. Are you all ready for that? <laughs> yes. 16 words. Thirty-two syllables. <laughs> What's that? It's really only three words. Yeah, three words. That's true. Um, Three-word mantra, but the, the phraseology of it comes out into sixteen and a uh, sixteen-word phrase. Even though th- uh, there's three words only, but then um, it's in a combination, and then thirty-two syllables altogether in the entire phrase of th- of one mantra. So I'll say the mantra, um, two words at a time, and you can repeat so you understand the, the pronunciation. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Hare Hare. Hare Hare. Hare, Hare. Hare, Rama. Hare, Rama. Hare, Rama. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Rama Rama. Rama, Rama. Rama, Rama. Hare, Hare. Hare, Hare. Hare Hare. We already know Rama, as we did that individually. So Hare refers to the the feminine energy of the original divine source that is all compassionate and nourishing. It also comes from the Sanskrit word Hari, which means one who takes away one's obstacles. There's a lot of obstacles in life and they're all removed by Hari. And in the vocative form of Hari, we say hare, which is a kind of a prayerful way of saying Hari or Hara, which means the Divine Mother. And then Krishna means that which attracts everyone's mind. And we see beauty in this world, and I would argue that we survive only by the aesthetics of the world. Without uh, taking in beauty, we can't survive for long. I had an experience recently, I was just flying back from India a few weeks ago. I was on a long flight. It was from Delhi to Vancouver, and at the 14-hour mark, I knew it was 14 and a half hours, but I was walking around the plane at 14 hours saying, get me off of this thing. <laughs> because I want to see the sun, I want to see the earth, I want to see colors. And my spiritual master used to say that, that uh, we can't survive without variety and without experiencing beauty. So Krishna means this original source of all beauty, all aesthetics, all uh, beauty and relationship emanates from Krishna. And the word Krishna and the, the personality that, that it's referring to are the same. Because in spiritual terminology and science, the, the name and the names are the same. There's no difference. So you're coming directly in contact with the source of, of all beauty and all uh, energy when you say Krishna. And so these uh, words put together, Hare and Krishna go together because... In the original divine source, there's a feminine and masculine like yin and yang. Like we see everywhere in this world, there's this combination of yin and yang, the masculine and the feminine. So in in the divine uh, original source, the the form of the deity, according to the ancient yogic scriptures, is like that. And then Rama, we already heard, means uh, coming into that well wellspring of uh, eternal happiness that comes from the heart. So it's a mantra that um, uh, people say again and again, and they go deeper and deeper into the mantra. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'll say then the first half of the mantra, and then you can repeat that, and I'll say the second half of the mantra, you can repeat it. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare.
2: Hare Krishna,
0: Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Krishna Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare.
2: Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama, Hare Hare. Now I'll
0: say the whole mantra and listen to the whole mantra and then you can repeat the whole mantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare.
2: Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I know
0: you guys already know this mantra, but it's always good to approach it like it's the first time you've ever heard it. But I do meet people all the time when I'm teaching mantra meditation. They say, "I know that mantra." And I said, "Let's hear." It. And they go, Hare Krishna, Hari Rama, Krishna Krishna, Hari Hari Rama, Krishna." <laughs> 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 so, the. the uh, the um The order of the words is important because it's a spiritual formula, and so uh, when you repeat the mantra you'll just follow the 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 way it's um, set up and you'll you'll see the result for yourself so part of me you have a beat oh beads okay do we have enough to go around okay so um, now in this part of the of the presentation, I'll just introduce. The, the concept is called Sankhya Purvaka. Everyone say Sankhya.
1: Sankhya.
0: Sankhya Purvaka means uh, numerical strength. So when you're practicing mantra meditation, there's a way in which if you count your mantras and you take a, you, a certain number of mantras, you, you speak a certain number of mantras every day, it's a kind of like medicine. Have you ever been given some antibiotic or some medicine from a doctor? And here she says, here's uh, 10 days worth, take the whole course and uh, don't stop at day nine, but keep taking it until it's done. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. So in a similar way, uh, the mantra itself, if you, if you count it and you stay steady with counting, then you can, uh, it's another way to help tame the mind because the mind is whimsical and one day they'll want to do uh, one mantra, another day they'll want to do a hundred, next day they'll say, I think that I'll go watch a movie and eat some Fritos or something like that. <laughs> so uh, to, to have a strict practice, yogis use these beads and there's another aspect to that, there's a kind of uh, visceral connection that one gets with the beads And the way we use them is to, um, good, that worked out. I have some of my own here. We use these two fingers, actually the thumb and the middle finger, to roll each bead. And you'll find that on the string of beads, there is a a little head bead like this. Does that look familiar on yours? Okay, so... This is uh, your reference point that you start from and end up at. And so, uh, if you ha- are these uh, graduated beads or are they all the same size? Uh, there's one that. It okay. Well, those just just start to the um, to the left of this head bead. And grab it like this with the thumb and the middle finger. Is this something you can see from back there? Okay. So when saying the mantra, I'm essentially rolling it a little bit, like on the side of this middle finger, using my thumb to roll it. Yeah, you're doing it right. And now, I'll say one mantra on one bead. So I'm counting, but at the same time, it gives my sense of touch somewhere to be engaged while I'm chanting. And it it actually helps to focus. And uh, there's a nerve that goes through here that uh, connects to my... uh, a nervous system that helps to concentrate. So then when I go to the second bead, I'll just pull forward with my thumb and grab the next bead. You see that? Like if I was gonna move forward again, I just pull forward and grab the next one. So now for each bead, there's one mantra. Now, these are kind of um, not exactly for beginners because it's got um, 108 beads on it. So, what, you, what a person would do who's using these beads, they would say one mantra on each bead and then keep moving it forward. And when I go all the way back to the head bead, you see, I stop here and turn it around. But at that point, I would have said 108 mantras. And uh, that's going to do a little damage. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> once, if, if you happen to, to be on a roll, And you want to do more when you have your beads. Then basically when you get here, you just turn around again. Like if you're swimming in the pool, you get to the end, you turn around and come back the other direction, right? So now I'm turned around and I'm going the other direction. So when you finish going one full cycle around, that's called one round, one round. So oftentimes when yogis are talking about their practice, like how many rounds are you doing? Well, I'm doing one round, I'm doing four rounds, I'm doing 16 rounds. And this way, they're counting how many they do every day because it's a, it's a practice. So I'm just for a second going to say something about spiritual practice. So in the Vedas, the ancient literatures that describe the evolution of human consciousness, there's a description of the various kinds of life forms around us. First of all, the Vedas describe that all souls are the, in the same category. And if we look around, we see plants, animals, humans, and so forth. They all have the same divine spark within them. And in that sense, they're all the same. And a wise person actually sees that and shows respect to every life form because he or she understands that the same spark that's in me or that I am is within every other life form. So now uh, the Vedas then describe that that life that's within us Expresses itself to a greater or lesser degree according to the field, as I described, that it's it's residing within. So the, there are many species of life. Obviously, the Vedas say there are eight million four hundred thousand species, and among them, the human beings, human species, is a juncture. It's an opportunity to expand consciousness unlimitedly. So here's how the categories are described. First of all on the lowest rung of expression of consciousness, there's what's called covered consciousness. And this would be like plants and trees. They're definitely alive. They're definitely personalities. But their mm. ability to inquire about self-realization or, for that matter, to, to uh, do an algebraic expression would be quite limited. And above that, there's contracted consciousness, which is like animals. Animals uh, are very expressive, <coughs> Definitely, the personality is coming out, and they, uh, they lament when they lose one of their family members, they feel pain, uh, but again, their reasoning power is not expansive. For instance, here in uh, where are we Colorado in Colorado Springs we We're in Fort Collins. <laughs> I probably did that to you from the last time from <laughs> Fort Collins right now and uh, Uh, we may uh, see a fire hydrant and consider, oh, that's well-placed, maybe important in a fire, and a dog might see a fire hydrant and think of it differently. (laughs) So uh, above, uh, above contracted consciousness is what's called budding consciousness. And that's when one comes to the human form. As a human has, budding means potential. The potential is practically unlimited in the human form. The consciousness can be explored and expanded. And then the next category is called blooming consciousness. And that's when the buds actually open up and one experiences for oneself and tastes the nectar of one's own existence. And this means a human being plus what's called sadhana. Sadhana means a spiritual practice. So what you're holding in your hand is an example of What yogis uh, use for a spiritual practice is they count the number of mantras they do every day and consistency is king. Because if you stay consistent, take it like medicine, then the mantra starts to open that bud and reveal to you your higher nature and everything about the world that um, is mysterious and wonderful. So um, we're going to try now as long as I haven't run out of time, because I have a tendency to do that, especially when I don't have... What time is... Uh, Sometime
2: tomorrow. <laughs> ha ha
0: ha 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 Who said that? I like whoever said that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I like you anyway, but, So, uh, how much time do we have? Uh, probably 20, 15 more minutes. Oh my goodness, okay, so... So, About 20 more minutes. 20 more minutes? So, let us try the, the mantra. So please take hold of your beads right next to the head bead. And we're going to move forward this time six beads together. All will say the mantra one time, and then we'll t- say it together six times. And each mantra, roll your fingers on the bead and try to listen very carefully to the, to the sound of the mantra as you have already been doing, OK? I'll set the pace. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare 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 Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Let's get a little drone too. Hare Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Krishna. Hare
2: Hare Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama. Hare 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 Krishna, Hare Krishna. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama
0: Rama, Hare Hare. So now uh, we had a little help from the drone instrument, this harmonium, and we're chanting in sync. But now we're going to try for the next six beads is chant for yourself, and we'll chant at our own pace. And you'll hear what it sounds like when a room full of monks are sitting and chanting. They go at their own pace. They don't go in sync usually, but they're all together when they sit in a circle like this. And it's called a Japa Circle. And what we're doing here is a kind of meditation called Japa. Say Japa. Japa. You can remember because you use your jaw and your paw. <laughs> so. <laughs> so now uh, go at your own pace and say the mantra to yourself for six mantras just loud enough so that you can hear it. And uh, just try to focus in on the mantra for the next six, and then stop, and uh, stay focused on the vibration, how it's affected you. Are you ready? Hare mm-hmm. Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama Hare Rama, Rama Rama Hare 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 Krishna, Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare Hare Hare, Hare Rama Hare Rama Rama Rama, Rama Hare Hare That was beautiful, really nice. It's just, um, you know, and when you're around that environment, when you're in the middle of it, you may um, not notice sometimes, sometimes you will really be acutely aware of the fact that you're in the middle of spiritual sound vibration. And at other times you may not, but then when you leave the room, you may walk outside and then say, oh my God, what did I just take? Because the whole world starts to look different and you, your your consciousness is different, two of the symptoms of that are called jnana and vairagya. So the the element of jnana means that one is able to see the difference between uh, the field and the knower of the field, as I described earlier. It becomes more uh, noticeable with the power of the mantra. And the second one is called vairagya, which means that you have a broader perspective of the world so that you take everything in a way that you don't overreact to things. Whereas previously, you might have overreacted to certain news. You get an email and your heart starts pumping and you become annoyed or even angry. But with the power of the mantra, you'll notice in your own self that you tend to have more perspective and you're able to deal with things in a more natural way. And so the last uh, part of this is to um, try kirtan, which is chanting the mantra uh, um, with singing. So we, we collect the beads so that they can have their hands free. If you... You're going to chant on the beads if you want to uh, uh, take them home and practice. You can keep them, I believe, right? And if you're going to take them home but you're not going to practice, then they're $108. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for joining. It was an amazing audience. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Naturiy Armarman, Natalia Man, Natalie Armarman, Nataly Armarman, hey, Natchari Armarman, Natalie Armarman, Natalie Armarman, Natalia Marman.